most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. Bats. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Flex podcast presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Samantha Praviti. On today's episode of 21 Questions, I am so, so happy to be joined by the one and only Dan Harris, who is the editor in chief of Fantasy Pros, who you can find doing all things fantasy football, fantasy baseball. You probably do like fantasy golf. I don't know. Uh, find him on Twitter too, at Dan Harris 80 and all over the podcast space. Dan, do I dare even ask you how your week nine was? I was terrible. Um, but I feel like if you had a terrible week nine, then you're probably doing okay overall in fantasy football because it was the weirdest week. I mean, can you remember a week like this ever? I, I, I really can't. I think it's tough because every time there's like a week like this, like when there's a lot of injuries, you're like, oh, my God, I can't remember a week like this. But I actually really can't remember a week like this. I mean, if you can tell me like the Bills losing to the Jaguars might have been the most unlikely thing that I could have predicted in the entire world, just like totally out of character. It was just bizarre. But, uh, you know, whatever. We move on. We move on. Yeah, definitely try and move past this one. Uh, I, I had a tough matchup. This week against my commissioner in one league, and we kind of like we're talking smack to each other, of course. And it was close and it was close going into last night. And then Matt Stafford did not deliver on pretty much yeah. anything. So I um, uh, yeah, I don't even know if there are any leagues. I think there's at least one league that I run, but I don't play in that many. So uh, well, I tell you what you need to do. OK, I play in a charity league uh, with Cooter Doodle. I don't know if you know her on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I do, um, she I runs, do. Right. She's wonderful. I um, mean, it's a charity league, but it has some bizarro scoring where certain positions, the worse you are, the higher you score. So like in that league, I absolutely dominated. Like I Sam Darnold's one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. You know, if right. your defense gets smashed, you give up a ton of points. So we really need to play in a league like that because then week nine was like best week ever. That actually sounds like really, really fun. I don't play in any like really fun scoring ones. I play in some custom <laughs> scoring ones, but nothing like definitely fun like that. But uh, anyway, let us just hop right in. Question one is what year did you start playing fantasy and did you win your first league? I did not win my first league. I started playing fantasy in 2004. I was in law school um, with a bunch of nerds and we all sort of liked baseball. That was just sort of our thing. We liked baseball and someone said, let's start a fantasy baseball league. We did a draft in the law school library. I'm talking like full on nerd. Like this is not like baby nerd. I love like the, the picture 12, you're painting, though. It's the 12 nerdiest people. I might have been the coolest person in that whole group. So you could just imagine where we are right there. Uh, and we all got obsessed with it. We all got com- like completely obsessed with it. The second year uh, we played was during like over the summer where we're all up there studying for the bar exam and we're in bar classes and we are making trades and stuff like that. But after we played baseball, we obviously then said we should probably play fantasy football. And I love fantasy baseball and I always will. Um, but fantasy baseball, it's almost like a job. So you do it every single day for six months, grinding, grinding, grinding. Fantasy football is awesome, right? Once a week, you make your waiver claims. It was good. 
But then I got really into fantasy football and I have been just completely and utterly obsessed with fantasy sports since I joined my first league in 2004. I love that. I also love to hear that fantasy baseball was your first love. That's very interesting. I don't feel like I hear that a lot from people in the, in the community. So that's super, super cool. And Hey, this draft that you're, you're definitely underselling it. It sounds like a very fun draft because I actually haven't done, I haven't done a lot of really in-person drafts. So even that sounds very, very cool. Um, Well, thank you for, uh, did you answer if you won the league? I did. I did not win the league. I came in third. Uh, I think it took me three years to win that league. And my first fantasy football league, I came in last. So there you have that. Uh, Just being honest. Nice. Very well done. It took a little while to figure out the formula as to how to win. But I also like I got and this is probably what eventually led to my journey into fantasy sports as, uh, you know, working is that like I I don't like to fail. I have a very difficult time with it. Uh, My wife would tell you that uh, I become a little obsessive. So I started like doing my own projections for players because I was like, well, I can't I can't just go in there and grab a magazine and see what comes of this. I have to do it myself. Everybody (laughs) has that. So I legit started projecting every baseball player and every football player and just became crazy. And I've had more success but I don't really sleep anymore and everybody hates me. So I, it, is it worth it? Yeah, kind of, but it's, it's a trade-off. No, it's sleep is for the week. But anyway, gotcha. that leads us into our second question. What are the best and worst parts about playing fantasy football for you? Uh, I think the uh, best part, number one, is that you can watch any single football game. I mean, again, I'm a Jets fan, um, as I am, <laughs> I am loath to admit. Um, and the Thursday night football, right? I'm in like our Discord. We have one at fansbros.com uh, slash chat. And people are all over it and talking in that thing. And I'm like, look, everybody is with me watching a game, suffering like that through it. It's just wonderful because it makes every game interesting. In addition, I think just the, you know, we play in some leagues where maybe, you know, you, you play for the entry fee. Maybe you're trying to make a little money. But for the most part, my favorite league is still the league that I started with all my buddies, you know, back from law school. It's the way I keep in. It's really the only reason I keep in touch with half the guys from law school at this point. So really that part of it is great. The downside is that I feel like I don't know why, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know why, but even now, Samantha, where I've been playing fantasy sports for well, you know, over a decade at this point, obviously I still get so mad and I have little kids and I have to work on not taking it out on them. If like my fantasy team, the one I really care about, is doing poorly like that's the worst i i'm a grown human okay like i have like a normal life and still even now when things are going badly in a matchup that i really want to win i will snap at my son who's just asking sort of a very he plays in his own fantasy league who will ask a question about it so that really is the only downside for me is that i become a little obsessive with it Well, at least that means that you're extremely passionate about it and that it is never lost like it's luster, of course. Um, I mean, I totally agree that it is a great way to just build community and stay in touch with people. One of my favorite leagues is the one that I've been playing in the longest. And it's the commissioner is just like he wants to make things more complicated all the time. So there's just like custom scoring for everything. Like it's like rushing yards are like point four. And then there's like 
like things that you you lose for attempts so there's all this efficiency type stuff and then you lose yeah. six points for any kick that's like it could be like a 55 yard kick and you lose 60 points and believe me i lost a matchup because of that very salty about that so but that but that one because i played in it the longest is really just fun for me also it's a salary cap draft so that's always just way more fun for me yeah for sure all right well let us just jump into the actual football stuff uh, we are going to kick it off with a segment called the burn bug, which is, of course, a mean girls reference as fantasy managers. It's so easy to have recency bias, especially if a player has burned us either due to injuries or a bad week. So I'm going to run through five players and I'd like you to briefly tell us how confident you are in that player moving forward or if they're in your burn book. So the first player is Patrick Mahomes. I'm not a crazy person and I am not going to ask you if Mahomes is fully in your burn book. That said, do we have to have a conversation about him? He was obviously the consensus QB1 heading into this year, but he's currently QB9 on a per-game basis in light of some recent struggles. So what is kind of your rest of season outlook on him? I'm pretty concerned. Um, I, I don't see how you wouldn't be at this point. I mean, forget about the numbers, Samantha. Like, we don't have to watch. We don't have to look at the box score to know how bad things are. You turn on a Chiefs game. And you were like, what exactly is happening right now? And, you know, I feel like there's an oversimplification of it a little bit. And I'm probably guilty of it, too, which is like, OK, well, every defense is just kind of dropping the two safeties and taking away the explosive plays and stuff like that. But it really just seems like everyone's just a little out of sync. Right. We see Travis Kelsey dropping balls. We see, you know, Mahomes slightly overthrowing everybody. Just every time it feels like they're close, they're just missing. I have to imagine that at some point, because Mahomes is so talented and because Andy Reid is such an offensive genius, that they're going to figure it out. But in terms of like, we were like, okay, you're the number one QB. Maybe you want to rank him number two QB, something like that behind Josh Allen. Right now, Samantha, rest of season, because I have to have my rest of season rankings. He's eight for me, eight. Mm -hmm. So I am, this is a, I think that would qualify for he is in the burn book at this point. Not fully, you're not dropping him. But yes, I have long-term concerns. Yeah, I definitely have long-term concerns about him. Like some of the stuff isn't his fault. Some is for sure. But in the end for fantasy, like, does it really matter how much of it is his fault? Um, because it's it's a matter of production. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing, obviously, for anyone who's highly leveraged in the Chiefs offense. They obviously eked out a win yesterday, but like, against Jordan Love and they right. the, the Packers missed two field goals, which would have brought them into overtime. So I, I really like that was a really close one and it definitely should not have been. It's just insane, really. And and Mahomes, by the way, I mean, he's lucky to even have had the meager production that he did because Daryl mm-hmm. Williams got stopped twice on the goal line. If he scores in either one of those, and Mahomes doesn't even get the touchdown for that. I mean, he is incredibly talented. I do wonder, Samantha, I don't know. I haven't heard that much about this. Is is it Maybe he's got some sort of injury, perhaps. I do remember watching him run down the sideline at one point a couple of games ago, and he like hopped a little bit afterwards. I know he had the toe issue at the end of last year. Maybe he's got something going on, but whatever it is right now, like they've got Las Vegas, they've got Dallas. They'll probably need points in both those games. Let's hope it turns around, but I I am concerned. So burn book in terms of the Patrick Mahomes-esque burn book, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, let us move on to another person who has been really disappointing. DJ Moore. I think we actually have to have this talk about DJ Moore as a real potential burn book candidate, even if it's all Sam Darnold's fault. The reality is that Moore hasn't scored more than 10 fantasy points in half PPR since week four. And during that span, he is wide receiver 35. Are we considering benching him in week 10 against Arizona and putting more in our burn book? Man, 
I, my guess is I probably will not have the intestinal fortitude to bench him um, in a league. But you are right. Uh, he's got to drop significantly. And I struggle with it every single week because like I run the projections and I look at him like, well, he should come out to be wide receiver 12 if everything works normally. But you're right. It's not his fault. He's playing fine. It's all the quarterback play. We don't know who's going to be quarterback next week. Could be P.J. Walker. Could be Sam Darnold. I don't really think it matters who it is. It's not like an upgrade or a downgrade. I think for me, I will probably, if the, if the definition of putting him in the burn book is to consider benching him, I will probably not bench him just because I think he gets enough targets. I think there's enough potential for him to go. Out. But if the definition was, are you moving him down from like a borderline wide receiver one to more like a wide receiver borderline two, wide receiver three-ish, then yeah, I'm going there. Again, not his fault, but certainly the quarterback play is just totally hindering him. Yeah, I think it's a similar situation, at least at least early season to where we were with Allen Robinson, where we were pretty convinced that it wasn't his fault, though. I, I just I, maybe it's the whole Bears offense. It just doesn't work. But when Justin Fields was drafted, I just thought, like, finally, he has a quarterback. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking this is his year. And I actually was am extremely over leveraged in Allen Robinson right now as a result. So, I mean, yeah, in, in the end, like you can you can argue the talents there and that probably gives you enough upside that you want to put him in your lineup, but it hurts. Like it hurts because you've seen him do so well in the past and in the recent past. And now it's just like a complete dud. So as a Panthers fan too, it's hard to watch. You're a Panthers fan. I am. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry (laughs) that you had to take on the Sam Darnold sort of legacy that we let you have. Thank you so much. I'm wondering, and I'm hoping, and it didn't come to fruition in this game admittedly against a very difficult defense with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that maybe McCaffrey being there at least sort of takes some of the defensive attention away from Moore and allows him to flourish a little bit because it's just going to be those two guys. I mean, Robbie Anderson is completely <laughs> irrelevant at this point. So I, I'm still going to sit there and uh, hold out hope that he is able to get back here. Um, but, you know, they'll need points against Arizona. So hopefully Moore will get some. But yeah, definitely, definitely falling. I agree with the CMC situation. I really do hope that that is at least a little like injection of life into this offense. Like they just need like a little bit of that. So anyway, another struggling offense that I'd like to address is the Giants and specifically Kadarius Toney. Now, this is a guy that also just may be victim of a bad situation. Like, I don't know if Joe Judge forgot that he uh, had wide receivers but uh, very frustrating, reeled in his lone target for nine yards, finished with one fantasy point and half PPR. Does he belong in our burn book? And are we dropping him with the Giants week 10 by? Uh, well, here's what I will say. He could be dropped if you had to, given the bye week and bye weeks. We're in week 10, right? OK, so you got to do what you got to do. You need to win. You do what you got to do to add somebody to your team. I'm personally holding Kadarius Tony for another week, at least to see what happens in week 11 when they come back. And the reason is just because I think he has the skill set in that he can do so much after the catch to, you know, Kenny Galladay, for example. I think, you know, he needs Daniel Jones. He needs the targets. He needs everything there to be able to do. Kadarius Tony can take a screen pass and take it to the house like a wide receiver screen. There's so much talent. He's been battling injury the whole time. This game was just so incredibly disappointing and they won and, you know, they were able to rely on their defense. So who's to criticize? I'm still holding Kadarius Tony. I know I sound like an old, I, I also like move very slowly when I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to drop you. I'm holding Kadarius Tony. All other Giants receivers I can move off of, but for me, I will hold Tony if I can do the bye week. 
I think I'm similar and that I have a really hard time moving on from guys, especially guys that I drafted. Now I didn't draft Kadarius Tony, but like, for instance, Alan Robinson, Mike Davis, a guy that I ended up with, which I know everyone faded him and I should have listened. And uh, yeah, it stinks. I just thought he was. I recommended him. I want it on record so I can I'll join you. I recommended him to like everyone. So I, I'm with you. Wait, are you still rostering Alan Robinson right now? Or have you cut I have him? I have him in like one league. That's a 16 okay. team league. So okay. uh, and they have deep benches. Like it's the it's the type of league where you're like not going to get Khalif Raymond. So <laughs> gotcha. Like, OK, yeah. So I'm keeping him there, but I don't I'm not starting. Him, if it makes sense. Gotcha. Um, yep, it does. Yeah. So uh, Kadarius Tony, I think, is in my burn book uh, just because I just have very little confidence in the Giants offense and play calling and everything like that. And because he's been bigged up. So, yeah, I would say if you need the roster space that I would be OK with cutting bait with him. All right. I switched this one up a little bit because I wanted to talk about Jeremy McNichols because mm-hmm. RIP to every single person that spent their entire fab on McNichols only had to have him put up five fantasy points and half PPR. He trailed Dante Foreman in rushing yardage and Adrian Peterson in carries. My question is more of like, are any of the Titans running backs viable fantasy assets or do they all kind of belong in the burn book? I think for right now, I would be fine putting them all in the burn book, but it wouldn't surprise me if one of them eventually does turn into somebody who you can start. I mean, Dante Foreman looked good. He, he really did. He looked the best of the running backs. AP found the end zone. McNichols wasn't really involved. Personally, like there's no way I'm going to feel comfortable starting any of them. And at this point, as we move into week 10, if I do not feel comfortable starting you in any given week, then you are in my burn book. So I'm putting all of them in the burn book. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually one of them turns out to be usable, but I just don't know which one is going to be. So I'm avoiding all of them. Yeah, I was a little disappointed because I thought he would be a little bit more involved in the passing game and like, but it it was just kind of, I don't know, a funky game in general, uh, some defensive touchdowns and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm still kind of maybe holding on to a little hope that Peterson with time can maybe just with the volume alone kind of produce at a very low upside level but i mean like he did find the end zone so he's maybe the only guy that i'm a little like invested in otherwise i didn't get mcnichols in any league so uh i i was just not willing to like shell out 40 percent of my fab or whatever he went for no and i think the big thing also is again next week they get new orleans like that's Mm -hmm. that that's a team that like the very traditional i'm not gonna catch passes i'm just gonna be your traditional runner almost never has success against, you know, and we saw it even against Atlanta who, you know, wound up beating them, you know, Cordero Patterson and our RIP Mike Davis um, didn't do anything on the ground. Cordero Patterson did everything to the air. So that's a tough matchup for Peterson and Foreman. So I'm not going to want to start them. And again, yeah, last, I thought it would be a negative game script. I thought they would trail in that game. So McNichols would get more run, but he didn't. So I'm just avoiding, I'll, I'll bang my head against the wall in some other situation. I'm avoiding that too. I want to ask a side note. Do you have a lot of exposure to Derrick Henry? Did you? Uh, I, I don't. I have zero Derrick Henry shares actually, uh, which is bizarre. Uh, oh, actually, no, I did have one share of Derrick Henry in the reverse league <laughs> where being bad gets you more points. So it's not that big of a loss. Uh, but no, I just, it just happened to be, oddly enough, I didn't play in any salary cap draft leagues this year. Uh, I usually do play in a few and I don't know, you know, we're busy people and just the way it kind of worked out. It was oh, sort it's of like a draft. four hour draft. Oh, my too. God. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So um, I, this I just missed out. On, I desperately wanted him in every league. 
a missed out on him. So, I mean, it works out at least for me from a fantasy perspective. He was definitely a guy that I was high on going into the season, ended up with zero shares of him. My only salary cap draft, he was kept. Uh, it like it, pretty much all like the top guys are kept. So it's, it's, it doesn't make it as fun in terms of like the, that type of bidding. But uh, yeah, I just didn't get like the right draft pick for any situation. I had the number one draft pick in so many leagues and mm-hmm. ended up with, of course, Christian McCaffrey, including yep. Scott fish. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that, that has been obviously disappointing. Um, and yeah, uh, just disappointing for, for uh hunt, Henry managers at this point. All right. The final guy we want to talk about is Mark Andrews. He was a consensus top six, like locked in elite guy. He was in that, you know, that conversation where everyone was like, you have to go stud tight end this year. This is the year that you have to go stud tight end, but he really hasn't delivered on that investment. And there are some other guys too, that also haven't, but he has five games with fewer than 10 fantasy points. He's really had one fantastic game in week five versus the Colts. Uh, that this week he saw 10 targets and just didn't do much with them. Like, are we kind of burning him at least out of that elite tier? So I think really the way I think of it is there are probably three tight ends that I keep in the real elite tier. And this is to say nothing of Kyle Pitts's talent. I just think that Pitts probably doesn't have the reliable production. It's Kelsey, it's Waller, and now it's back to being George Kittle. And everybody else, just kind of falls into the same thing. Like I have a, I have a preference, of course, for Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts and TJ Hawkinson, but there are enough guys out there that are, are doing things that you can sort of get away with low end options such that for the most part, I don't know about you, Samantha, I never end up with that tier of tight end. Like I will, I will go big if I'm like second round after that, no way. Like there's no way I go with the Mark Andrews. So I get, I think he's like perpetually in my burn book. And I remember <laughs> last year, fun fact, um, I did a video for Fantasy Pros on our YouTube channel of 10 players to avoid at their ADP. Mark mm-hmm. Andrews, like number one on the list because he was going as like a third round pick. And I was just like, he just can't do it. Like it doesn't work or anything like that, given the value that he'll provide. And he scored two touchdowns in week one. And I got so much hate for that video. Like the comments on YouTube were vicious, vicious, absolutely. And ultimately, he didn't really earn that, that stuff. So I survived. But I, he's always in my burn book just because I think that the expectations that are placed on him and everybody outside of the big three are just way too high. So obviously you roster Mark Andrews, you're starting Mark Andrews every single week, but for the most part, he's in my burn book. Yeah. For my draft, at least when I was drafting, I I guess I considered there were two elite tiers, like very clearly marked elite tiers. And I did target a lot of the guys in that second tier if they if they came to me type thing. And I did end up with Kyle Pitts. I did end up with Mark Andrews. Uh, No TJ Hawkinson. I did end up with Darren Waller, but I guess he would have been in the next one. But anyway, my point is, is that it's yeah, it's been disappointing because it was like, okay, these are the six guys that you feel like you can just set it and forget it with these guys. And then you can worry about the rest of your roster because if you draft a guy like Noah Fant, like who knows right. what you're going to do all every week. And now it's kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do every week. Like if, if Dawson Knox came back, for instance, like he might be an interesting guy that I would maybe consider in the right matchups starting over Mark Andrews. Right. I mean, I think that there are now a lot of these lower tier guys that you're like, ooh, these guys are intriguing, like Dawson Knox when he comes back. Dalton Schultz is pretty yeah. uh, reliable like that. I have a lot of Dallas Goddard, which I just kind of fell into, which didn't look great until the <laughs> Zach Ertz trade. Right. 
now he basically gets like a 30% target share. So, you know, eventually you're kind of, kind of like that. So yeah, I think the gap between that middle tier and you're right. I agree with you. There were basically two elite tiers, the real elite, then that Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, DJ Hawkins, and then it was everybody else. But I never went to that middle tier just because again, I didn't think it was a big enough jump from uh, the down tier. So I do think that there are situations where you could basically roll with anybody. I'm really excited to see what Pat Fryermuth does tonight. I love Pat Fryermuth. So, you know, there are I a lot of that guy. Oh, that best. is, that the is best. so exciting. I, uh, people call him baby Gronk, which I love. I know. So. I love it. I, he's great. He's great. Although I will be honest that I probably need Deontay Johnson to score two touchdowns tonight to win a matchup. So Fryermuth, <laughs> you can, you can take a step back just for one game, one game, and then we'll, we'll get back to it. Amazing. All right. That'll do it for the burn buck. Next up here on the Fantasy Flex is our elite entry segment where I dive into the prize picks app to build some entries. I identify some markets I like, you build your own prize picks entries, and all of us have a little fun and make some money. So today I'm going to look at three, actually four, NFL Week 10 quarterback plays on prize picks. Can you believe we are halfway through the season? Uh, just crazy how fast it's moving. So the first play that I like is Mac Jones under 220 and a half passing yards at home versus the Browns. Death taxes and Mac Jones unders. We are now on week three of hitting these. So I am going to keep it rolling against the Browns. The Patriots defense is keeping them very competitive in games. And even in the games where the Patriots actually put up a lot of points, Mac Jones isn't getting a ton of yardage. Like he just put up barely 300 points in a game where they scored 54 points. Uh, They just beat Carolina 24 to six. And Jones had a paltry 139 yards. Yes, it's a tough defense, but I think they'll continue to play conservatively against the Browns this week who are allowing just 225 passing yards per game. I think Mac Jones is below average in terms of the quarterbacks that the Browns have faced this year. So I definitely like the under. The next play that I like is Matt Ryan over 275 and a half passing yards on the road in Dallas. Of course, Matt Ryan and the Falcons pop off the week I tell them to fade them. Like, of course. Uh, But Ryan broke the 300 passing yard mark for the fourth time this year against a really tough Saints defense on the road. So I do see a lot of cohesion in this offense. I'm pleasantly surprised. He will have a much easier time this week against the Cowboys. He ranked eighth worst in passing yards allowed per game. Trayvon Diggs has been like the big flashy story name thing this year. But outside of him, their secondary has been extremely exploitable. Overall have allowed 270 and a half passing yards per game. And Diggs and his whole secondary actually looked super exposed against Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos, who jumped out to a 30-0 lead. So I think Ryan will carve up this D and smash the over. Another play that I like is Ryan Tannehill under 240 and a half passing yards at home versus the Saints. Even in games where the Titans have put up a lot of points, Tannehill has just been largely unimpressive. And it's a little bit surprising because I think there were a lot of people that thought with Derrick Henry gone, he would have to be throwing a lot. And it just hasn't seemed like that's the case. He has two games all year with multiple touchdowns three sub 200 passing yard games, which is just crazy for a guy that was incredibly efficient last year. The Titans faced the Saints this week, who yes, were just lit up by the Falcons. But even without Derrick Henry, I, you know, Tannehill just tallied 143 yards last week. So I have no confidence that he's gonna, you know, hit 250 yards. So I really like the under here. And then the final play that I like is on the other side of the ball. Trevor Simeon, under 230 and a half passing yards on the road in Tennessee. This entire game, 
past game just left me wondering why Sean Payton and this team started Trevor Simeon in the first place. It was truly a head scratcher that Hill wasn't named a starter in my opinion. And I think there's a good chance that Simeon doesn't even make it through this game. Like he could get yanked halfway through, especially if this game starts to get away from them. Uh, He had 249 passing yards last week against the Falcons' Swiss cheese secondary. And this is another positive matchup against the Titans, though, you know, they did just beat up on the Rams, which are one of the top teams in the NFL. I thought they were Super Bowl contenders, and I think they probably still will be. But I think they'll go under this number. Um, I just think that it's going to be kind of a low-scoring game, maybe a good game for the running backs. All right, so that is our elite entry with a lot of unders. Going with Mac Jones, under 220 and a half passing yards at home versus the Browns. Matt Ryan, over 275 and a half passing yards on the road in Dallas. Ryan Tannehill, under 240 and a half passing yards at home versus the Saints. And Trevor Simeon, under 230 and a half passing yards on the road in Tennessee. As a reminder, you can mix and match fantasy points and player props to make them, your lineups super spicy. Also, prize picks markets move, so you will want to be nimble to lock in the best numbers and make your picks as soon as possible. If you have not created a prize picks account, please check out the link in our episode description because prize picks has a special offer for fantasy flex listeners. They will match your first deposit up to $100. Just c- click the link in our episode description or visit prizepix.com and use promo code ACTION10. All right, let us just keep it moving here on 21 Questions with Dan Harris. Our next segment is called Full Send or That's Cap, which is sort of the opposite. And I, I'm just going to explain it. Full Send is like a, a extreme sports term. Guys are like full send and you jump like head first or you go for the backflip and you and you just dive in and you may hurt yourself. But, uh, that, I'm that supposed is- to know that, by the way. Do normal people know that? And I'm just very because I saw that I was like, I don't know what full send no cap <laughs> means. I'm probably a weirdo. Is this like very um, common? I think it's it's probably more common in the outdoors community, uh, at least the full send thing. And then that's cap is is, is more of a Gen Z term. So cap means ah. like BS. Like that's li- that's a lie. That's that's not real. Yes, yeah, I'm so- learning so much from this podcast. I love it. I'll give you five players whose values are on the rise. And I want to know, are you sending it on this player or is that cap? So the first player is Matt Ryan. Just when I thought it was time to kind of write off the Falcons offense in a tough matchup with Calvin Ridley out, they scored 13 points in week eight. They come back with a vengeance in week nine. Ryan crested the 300 passing yard mark for the fourth time this year through three touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he was near perfect over the last four games. Uh, five games, he's finishes QB3, QB12, QB14, QB31, and then QB3 with one game left to play. So my question is, are we going full send on Ryan as a reliable low-end QB1? That's cap. Did I do that right? Is that <laughs> yes. the way you do it? Okay, yes, I nailed it. Uh, no, I'm not at all. Uh, look, this was shocking to me. Absolutely. I mean, especially given the Saints defense. My guess is it was a little bit of a letdown spot after the big win for the Saints last week and sort of they looked past it a little bit. And it wasn't a perfect matchup because they didn't have really the sort of prototypical number one wide receiver that you just put Lattimore on and they've got a gimmicky offense. So I know he's been doing generally well outside of the one game that you simply <laughs> mentioned. Uh, but given the state of the quarterback position, there's no way I'm trusting this guy as a top quarterback. So that's cap. Fair enough. He is a guy that I told on a live show on Sunday morning to sit because I was worried about the matchup and worried about how they did 
last week I was like, oh no, this, this offense only looks good when Calvin Ridley's there. And, uh, of course that blows up in my face. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's maybe just unreliable. And like you said, it just a, a bad matchup for the saints in terms of like defense and whatever. So, uh, I am hoping that he has a good rest of season, but I'm not necessarily because I have him in my Scott fish league as my QB too. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that he has a good rest of season, but I'm not holding out hope that he's going to put up top 12 numbers every week. Yeah. All right. As this tortured jets fan that you have painted this picture of yourself, <laughs> um, I need to know about Elijah Moore. So he obviously popped off in week nine with a pair of touchdowns in spite of suboptimal QB play. Um, from Mike White and Josh Johnson. I really love that for him, that he like pops off and Zach Wilson's not the guy, but he obviously does carry risk as a member of the Jets, has a tough week 10 matchup against the Bills, shut down pass defense, but has a relatively soft schedule after that. So are we going full send on more as a starter or is trusting any Jets player cap? Great question. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to go full send um, because I do think that, first of all, they love him. Um, you know, you saw them. I obviously followed their draft pretty closely and I have a couple of friends in the organization. And when he fell to them in the draft, it was like cartwheels beyond recognition, <laughs> like just like this is the guy. I can't believe it. We didn't think he was going to be here. So they'd certainly have big plans for him. And, uh, you know, Tags and I used to have a saying, which is, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle when you see some of these guys who really explode and show what they can do. Like the idea that he's going to start losing, you know, playing time necessarily to like Elon Cole or anything like that. Now, this coming week against Buffalo, you're right. I probably won't have him ranked as a starter, but you are absolutely right. The schedule really softens up after that. And I do think he's going to be a guy who you are going to be able to get away with as somebody who's going to be in your starting lineup, maybe as a wide receiver three. He's immensely talented. He's really fast. He's a good fit for what this offense wants to do. So I'm going unbelievably full send on Elijah Moore. I love that. I actually started him in one league in a, in a 12 team league. I know bold, uh, more, more of, uh, my team stinks. And I think I started Michael Carter as well. So it evened itself out. All right, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had very high hopes for Michael Carter. You know what? Honestly, hot take. I think the jets win that game. If Mike White finishes it. So, uh, yeah, I, I also bet the Jets against the spread and was like, they were so, so close, close so oh close to the backdoor cover. So close. Uh. And yeah, so uh, disappointing. But yeah, I, I am pretty high on more rest of season. I am excited about him, not just for selfish reasons. All right, Tim Patrick. Let's face it. There was no universe in which I was not going to ask you about our guy, Tim Patrick. I love that for us. That we have our guy. He just had his best game of the season. And I think what's encouraging to me is that his workload hasn't fallen off a cliff with the return of Jerry Judy. Now, there maybe was just like a lot of attention from Trayvon Diggs or like the secondary to the other guys. So, yeah, he got a little bit more work, but he obviously has good chemistry with Bridgewater. So are we full send on Patrick as sort of a reliable wide receiver three flex rest of the season? You know it. It pains me to do this, but I got it. I got to go. That's cap, right? That's what's called. That's yeah. cap. I didn't mess it up. I, we love Tim Patrick. Of course, we have a history with uh, Tim Patrick and he is an extremely underrated uh, wide receiver, in my opinion, for sure. Had a great game here. Uh, there's a couple of things. Number one, I don't really want anybody too much in this Denver past uh, offense 
just because, again, this game also was without Noah Fant and Albert O yes. was fine, but then he got injured as well. Once Fant comes back, you've got all these guys out there for targets. So even though Patrick is still out there and running routes, it's not a high volume, you know, offense that's going to be able to sustain all these guys. And it's really hard to see more than one of them going off in any given game in their upcoming schedule, Philadelphia, then a bye, then the Chargers. It's just not not that great. So I love Tim Patrick. I always do. I will probably roster him like forever, just as my good luck charm. Uh, but I'm going to have to say that's Gab. Disappointing to hear since I am very over leveraged with him uh, in a lot of spots, just because I'm always I'm always the person that wants to pick him up because I'm like, you are underrated and no one ever gives you enough credit. So anyway, he popped off on my bench this week, which was oh. cool of him. Um, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but I think I'm going to hang on to him just to kind of see what this offense looks like more when they get some weapons back. So the next guy we're going to talk about, oh my goodness, James Conner. If you were James Conner last night, you may be entitled to compensation. Obviously the story of the week, he popped off for a whopping three touchdowns, 38 points and half PPR. Some of that was because Chase Edmonds went down in the first play of the game with an ankle injury. He may miss time with some high ankle sprain. I just saw that. So James Conner has been very good this year. He scored six touchdowns in three weeks, 11 touchdowns in seven weeks, and he is RB 17 on a per game basis this year. Are we full send on Connor as a locked in RB two with possible RB one upside? Or is yeah, that? I think we are full send. I mean, first of all, you're right. Chase Edmonds, a high ankle sprain, you have to assume is going to miss all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have a buy in week 12. So this strikes me as like a, let's give him a couple of weeks and we'll get the bye week and we'll get him back and everything like that. Some tough defenses, you know, you've got Carolina coming up there, very difficult defense, but look, you know, and especially with Murray's injury, whenever he gets back, you know, they're going to continue to do this at the goal line. Like they're not going to risk Murray sort of, you know, trying to run it in necessarily, even when he gets back, they're just going to continue to do what absolutely works with his James Conner within the five yard line. Absolutely. Go to him. Also, he looked amazing yesterday. Like when you were watching that game, he looked right. He looked like, I think back to like when I played in like little league sports and everything like that. There would always be the one random game every season where it was just a game I was locked in, right? I was making every play. And you know that. And then you just are like, yeah, this, this is mine right now. Like everything he was doing, he was like, I know this is a game of my life and I'm going to milk this for every, absolutely every cent it's worth. He looked great, but he has looked very good all season long. He is going to continue to convert the touchdowns. I have a very clear formula when they get down there. So especially with Chase Edmonds, but even without him, I think it's time that we absolutely consider him an RB2 going forward. So full send for me. I'm excited for him because I think the change of scenery has done him quite well. And a lot of people were obviously fading him going into the season, being in that kind of committee, but he's really established himself as like a locked in guy and in a role that just doesn't seem like it is going away. So I am full send on James Conner as well. I don't have a lot of exposure to him, but I wish I did. So oh, our, fin- our final guy is Hunter Henry. So this is an interesting case because the volume is not there, but the touchdowns are. He caught two or three passes for 19 yards and a touchdown this week against Carolina, his fifth touchdown in six weeks. Are we going full send on Henry as a tight end one or top 12 guy? Or does the lack of volume make this cap? Uh, the lack of volume makes this cap for me. Um, look, I, he is getting targeted when you're down there. So that is something that we have to consider as fantasy managers. But when I look at, at the tight end landscape, Samantha, like we've already talked about the top six, right? That the big tier and then the middle tier. 
I'm just looking at my rest of season rankings. Like Dallas Goddard is getting a ton of targets. Mike Gesicki is locked in there. Assuming that Rob Gronkowski is healthy, you obviously prefer him. Uh, Dalton Schultz is still there. When Noah Fant is healthy, Dawson Knox is going to come back. Pat Fryermuth is right there. Tyler Higby almost got the touchdown yesterday. Zach Ertz is getting more. Logan Thomas, my guy, is coming back. There are just so many names out here that get more targets and seem more reliable than a guy who I have to rely on the Patriots scoring touchdowns, just not a high volume offense. So for me, it's really the targets. I'm, I'm fading him. Um, so that uh, full cap. All right. <laughs> I or like that's that cap. full cap. That's cap. I, I mix up. That's cap. I'm fine. I'm old. All right. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, I, I think it might be cap too. Obviously I look for, for volume and kind of, just this offense not being super impressive. They're getting by with their defense holding teams to very few points. And I think they're just going to kind of continue to be conservative. Now it's great that he has fallen into the end zone a lot, but I think he has like six targets over the last two weeks. So it is concerning. Um, So I'm going to say that's cap. Well, all right, Dan, we have nine more rapid fire questions. Question 13 is name one player you just can't quit or you always find yourself making excuses for. So for me, that is Joe Mixon. Okay. All right. One player that I can't quit that I'm making excuses for. Like you leave on your roster too long or you like you, you, you put too high because you always just believe in them, even though maybe they're not producing. I love the question. Hold on. Give me a second to find the person because I want to get there because I honestly, the person that I probably would say uh, would be somebody we've already talked about. So I don't want to go there. Okay, Um, I'm going to say uh, Emmanuel Sanders. So Emmanuel Sanders is a guy who, like me, is kind of elderly Um, and he's a guy who I tout every single year. And it's like a running joke within our company. I'm like, you know, I really think Emmanuel Sanders is going to kind of be the guy this year. And he showed it right for like a little bit yes. right now. But yeah. at this point, you know, whether it's the Bills, I mean, he went from a day where, you know, he was fine. He got, you know, four catches yesterday. The day the week before he got zero uh, catches mm-hmm. on four targets. He's a guy that nobody is excited about. Nobody wants <laughs> to start. And I answer 4,000 start sick questions on Sunday morning. And I'm always like, no, nah, no, nah, Emmanuel Sanders, that's your guy. And people are like, why? I'm like, because he's Emmanuel Sanders. And like the Bills really targeted him in free agency. So. I think at this point, uh, I should move him down significantly in my rest of season rankings, and I absolutely refuse to. So, <laughs> Manuel Sanders is my guy. And there's, there's nothing wrong with having emotional attachment to some players. Obviously, like if you have a huge bias, that could be a problem. But I, he's a guy that I actually thought was a good start this week, a uh, good yeah. matchup. And I, I mean, we just talked about this. Like, no one expected the Bills to just fall apart oh. in that situation. So, um, yeah, I, I may make excuses for him too. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So, you did tell me you are a Jets fan. Yes. Predict when the Jets will win their next Super Bowl uh let's see I, what's the average male lifespan i probably have another 40 years it'll be the year after that after i pass away so you know i don't know let's call it look I, you know uh the year the jets will win the next super bowl will be 2068 um you know if if the car i believe they're on the 37 year rebuilding plan so they're they're well on their way right now but uh yeah no time soon i'm not optimistic are, are you, is it more that you just think the organization rots from the inside type thing and that like they would just need a huge overhaul or what? I think winning the Super Bowl number one is hard. Uh, and honest. again, we won the Super Bowl last, you know, 50 years ago. So it's, it's very <laughs> difficult to, to go there. And again, like we are on, uh, I don't know, like our fourth franchise quarterback of the last decade. So 
let's see whether it is. But the organization has never shown a coherent plan to get better. Like it just never has. Um, so there's nothing to make me optimistic that it's on the horizon. And also it's the Jets. And if you predict a Jets Super Bowl you and you get it right, you are an amazing human. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm never optimistic on the Jets, but when you grow up um, in Queens, as I did, and you grow up rooting for the Mets when all your friends are for the Yankees, and you grew up rooting for the Jets when all your friends are for the Giants, and you root for the Knicks, it's, it's an existence that conditions you to failure. So if they never win another, if they never win the Super Bowl in my lifetime, I'll, I'll be okay with it. I will, I will deal with it. 2068, put it on the board. And believe me, I, at least, I am not a Jets fan or even a Giants fan or a Mets fan or anything like that. But I did work at the New York Post. And I understand yes. the struggle of of supporting some New York teams that just it's like sometimes you're like, do we have any teams we can support uh, right now? Uh, and it is frustrating. Um, but, you know, that's like you said, it, it that's football. And uh, hopefully it'll happen in 2068. So give us yeah. one Jets player you think is underrated for fantasy. One Jets player who's underrated for fantasy. Oh, boy, this stuff. Because there aren't many Jets who should be at all rated for fantasy whatsoever. Um, I mean, is it okay that we talked about? There are really only two viable fantasy options at this point. Maybe three if you want to talk about Corey. Uh, it is Michael Carter. But I don't really think Michael Carter is underrated at this point. Although I will say, I don't know where people have him generally. In my rest of season rankings, I have Michael Carter 17. So I don't know if people have him. But I think it is Elijah Moore. But if not, I'll talk about Carter if you don't want to talk about the same guy. But with Moore, he is a guy who I think People are going to just kind of write off the last couple of games because the Jets stink and you can't in their quarterback and it's the Jets. Um, so I think so. But I do think that Moore is a guy who at this point is going to start getting so heavily involved that it's going to be difficult to keep him out of your starting lineup eventually. So I would go with Moore. But another guy is Carter, who I think people are now going to look at this game where, again, it's a totally different outcome if Mike White doesn't get injured. Um, and I think they're going to look at that and be like, OK, bubble burst. No more, no more uh, Carter whatsoever. And I do think that even when Zach Wilson returns, he has the potential, as long as it's not Johnson, because Johnson does not want to target the running. He has the potential to be, honestly, close to an RB1 going forward in half PPR leagues, assuming that he continues to get the volume that he was seeing under White. So both those guys, most underrated is more for me. I love to hear that because, I, like I said, I have a lot of Michael Carter shares. Uh, any interest in Ty Johnson or no? Yeah, Ty Johnson's actually not a bad name either. And again, you're probably going to need to continue to see Tevin Coleman be out, but I haven't heard anything about him coming back. Certainly, if they continue to target the running backs at the rate that they do, he is going to have volume because Carter's not going to be a guy who's going to get 100% of the snaps. He's not Najee Harris or anything like that. So I do think Ty Johnson in a pinch, especially in PPR leagues where he should factor in. Again, this is without Johnson. If Johnson's a quarterback runaway because he's just looking downfield, he does not want the running backs whatsoever. As somebody who had the over on two and a half catches on Thursday night, for Ty Johnson, it was very disconcerting to watch uh, Johnson in there. But um, I do think that Johnson actually, it's a good name. Um, assuming that either Zach Wilson or Mike White is there and assuming Tevin Coleman is out, I think you can probably get away with him in PPR as like the RB3-ish black type player. Fair enough. All right. Speaking of underrated Jets players, was Joe Flacco ever elite? Yes or no? No. He was not ever elite. He built his entire eliteness on a blown bomb catch, uh, you know, to win that game and continue and go on to the Super Bowl. Never elite Joe Flacco, except when he was with the Jets, which is where he was like the third greatest quarterback I ever rooted for. So not elite. No, absolutely not. Fair enough. Uh, what needs do the Jets need to address the most during this year's draft? 
um, everything. Uh, I mean, I'm already looking there. forward. I assume this is not the season. So uh, it's it's fair. You're going out on a limb with that one. But yeah, let's assume we're looking uh, next year. They obviously have some uh, some room there to grow. I, I would like to see them beef up the secondary. The secondary has played, you know, OK, considering that they have a bunch of guys that nobody can name and they've they've limited production to wide receivers from a fantasy standpoint, although they aren't really all that talented and I don't think it has long-term success. So they need kind of that lockdown cornerback that they had, or, you know, maybe a safety or something with may obviously now done for the season and, and not going to resign most likely. So I would like to see them address sort of the, the back end, the uh, secondary there for the jets. I think that's the most pressing of their many needs for next year. Fair enough. Uh, looking towards uh, this week, what, who should managers top waiver ad be? Yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know about you, Samantha. This strikes me as like the weakest waiver wire week. I literally and just, I was writing it before we got on here. And I was like, not, I do like a little priority thing at the bottom yep. of each little blurb. And I don't think I had high on any single guy. I was like we, medium if you really need someone. Like <laughs> We do percentage fab bids, like in our weekly mm-hmm. waiver wire article, which I read at night. And like all of my fab bids are like, you should under no circumstance should you be bidding more than 5% on any of these players. Cause it just isn't the guy who uh, leads for me and he's, he might be rostered in too many. He's 52.8% in our uh, leagues is Ayuk, who has been dropped in uh, a lot of leagues. If he's available, he's a guy who I would probably prioritize just because again, over the last two weeks now, he's basically outproduced what he had done for the entire season leading up to it. I think he's finally earned the right sort of from the coaching staff be on the field every team he's earned the target so if he is there he's a guy who i would pick up if not the guy who i've been basically saying we should be picking up for weeks is rashad bateman who still is rostered in only 30 percent of leagues again i think that lamar jackson again he's thrown the ball 33 times a game at this point compared to like 25 or 26 which is what he's done there are targets enough for hollywood brown who's fantastic mark andrews is going to be boomer bust and really bateman and i don't really think sammy watkins matters so those are the only like the two guys who top my list. And it's like a 10 way tie for the number one. Right. Because it's just a week uh, week. So if Ayuk is out there, I'd go for it. It is definitely a week week. Uh, you know, Benjamin, any interest in him? If I mean, it looks like Chase Edmonds probably going to miss a few weeks. Yeah, I think so. And if for no other reason, then we know that uh, James Conner does not thrive when he is given the full workload. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. That's just not how he does. I love James Conner as a runner. I think he's been perpetually underrated. And a lot of it is the injury. And the, part of the reason he gets injured so much is because he was sort of given the workhorse role. I don't think Arizona wants to do that. Benjamin is strong. We saw that yesterday. So he is a guy who is tied for the number one waiver <laughs> wire ad. Um, but again, I, I think realistically, he's going to be in the backseat of this you know, two-person committee. So I'd add him. If you're in a pinch, he could probably start this week when you're you know, dealing with bye weeks. But he's not somebody who like, yeah, I've solved my running back uh, position or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Elijah Moore is a, is a guy that I think would be on there, too. I know we've talked about him ad nauseum now, but yep. he's 27 percent rostered. So he would probably be the only guy that I'm like, uh, that, that's sort of a high priority, but not the highest. But he okay. was tied, to be clear. My top three <laughs> in my waiver wire are Ayuk Bateman and Elijah Moore. Okay. So I'm there Fair right enough. there with you. Um, give me one player who you think is primed for a big fantasy season next year. One player who is primed for a big fantasy season next year, man, I really have to be more prepared for uh, figuring out exactly what we're going to get from these. Okay. Give me a second. to No, no, you're good. 
stall for a minute. Let me let me think about that. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's uh there's a very common answer to this one. So yeah, I'm there curious. Is. I'm curious to see. Now we've done this show like ten times. I'm curious oh, no. to see who you say and if you come up with the same answer. Just because it's been interesting that all these analysts have said the same guy. All right. So there's no way I'm going to say this same guy then. Uh, so somebody, and I assume then it's somebody who's not having a huge year this year, or it doesn't matter, I guess, uh, which is where it is. Okay. Uh, this is not going to be the answer. I promise you that uh, most people are given, but I'm on the spot and all analysts are better than me. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Jalen Waddle, who is one of my favorite players. And I think is a superstar in the making. And I think, even with Tua, and who knows if Tua is going to be the long-term option there. Uh, with Tua, he's just a guy who basically needs to be considered a decent wide receiver too at this point. And again, I dropped him a little bit when I saw Tua was out yesterday, and he still produced, generally speaking, in a terrible week with mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett. Uh, but I think that he can become a superstar wide receiver one um, in the right situation, whether it's Tua, whether it's another quarterback. So. I will go with Waddle, but I'm very intrigued to know who the same answer that everybody else is giving. Well, you know what? You got the initials right. It is Javante Williams. That's fair. Everyone seems to be on the Javante train and hoping that this breakout game comes. It's it's though it's difficult going with Melvin Gordon still there. So that's yeah. kind of generally the sentiment that he's in to be a, a an RB1 next year. But this is not the year. That's a better answer than Jalen Waddle. Really, Javante Williams is. And again, I, you know, who knows what they're going to do? I, you know, Denver, I, I think they probably they like to run this. You know, it's successful for them too. you know, having this two back set. So I don't know whether or not Williams is going to be just the guy next year. But that's a that's a good answer. It's a better answer than Jalen Waddle. But when Jalen Waddle's a wide receiver one, we'll revisit this. Next year, okay? Yeah, I'm cutting this for when Jalen Waddle <laughs> is the wide receiver one next year. And you will look like the Illuminati. Um, exactly. How many attempts would it take you to make an extra point? Um, is infinity uh, a normal answer? Uh, <laughs> that's, we, that's what mine would be. So fun fact, <laughs> fun fact, uh, I go, my son, uh, his one desire in life is to go to the high school football field and play football with me, which mainly involves me pretending to tackle him and then falling and him going for a touch. But we kick extra points. We have one of the, you know, the things that you practice and stuff like that. And so we practice. Uh, and I practice and I, uh, to be as honest as possible, one time I probably kicked like 50 of them. There was one time where it was so close, Samantha, and it probably would have been the greatest moment of my entire life had it got in. <laughs> so I think given that, realistically, given that, I think if I could probably do it in 200 attempts, I would make <laughs> one of them. 200 is my answer officially. Wow, that is the least optimistic answer that I've gotten so far. But, I'm a realist, okay? I'm a realist, all right? It's totally cool. You know what? It would be infinity for me. I literally was on the street asking people uh, how many att- batting practice pitches it would take them to hit a juiced ball out of course Field. Oh, yeah. And the range of answers was hilarious. There was infinity and then there was also like one. The number of people who overestimate their athletic ability and what it is to be able to do the things that professional athletes do routinely (laughs) is astronomical, right? People have absolutely no concept of being like, do you know just how hard it is to do what these people do normally? Uh, My answer to that, by the way, would be infinity. There would be no chance. Give me the juice ball, that the juiciest ball you could get in Coors Field. Give me a corked bat. Give me everything you got. I'm hoping to get it out of the infield. That's where I would go. 
I would not eat. I don't think I would hit it. You know, it's interesting. I'm very athletic in certain ways. I do a lot of outdoors activities. I'm really great at balance activities and flex things that are like good about flexibility. I was a gymnast growing up. So like climbing, skiing, like those things really come naturally skating, uh, anything involving a ball or like something, like something you get a hit with. Oh my goodness. It's so embarrassing. I literally, really? it's, it's, it's like, we're talking like bottom 1%, like, absolutely. Wow. And, and not like even adjusting for the fact that like, I'm small, like whatever, none of it may. Yeah. I, if you asked me, I play tennis, I'm bad at it, terrible at it, but okay. I enjoy like the social aspect of it. If you asked me to throw a tennis ball from the baseline over the net, I probably could not do it. So, oh my gosh. I know. That's legit. I, it. I like it. it. I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm missing whatever like rotator cuff thing you need to throw. It is none of it makes sense to me. I don't know. You missed I the just, throwing gene, man. <laughs> It's fine. So, okay, very good. Hold on. I'm going to keep going since this is we're hanging out and this is what we get to do. So I am not a general, I'm like an, I'll call it an average athlete. Okay. I'm also a giant. Like you, you can't tell if you're watching this necessarily. I'm six foot five and wow. I'm a bean, I'm a bean pole. Like I'm, I'm just built a very, whatever. So I look kind of gangly and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I do not have great natural athletic ability. My wife does. Thankfully, my son took after my wife, which is great. But there are certain things that I can do better than almost anyone. One of the things, and I don't know why, and this might not be quote unquote athlete, you know, athletic, is aim. Oh, wow. So like I was a pitcher growing up and I never had the best stuff, but I could put the ball wherever I wanted to at any given time and anything and stuff like that. It doesn't usually come in handy. Like I may be the greatest darts player of all time. Like that's great. That's not really athletic, but I might be the greatest darts player of all time. I'm an outstanding bowler because anything that involves archery, I could be, uh, you know, borderline Olympic uh, archer. Is that a word? Archerist? I don't know. But anything, whatever it is, I'm exceptional with aim. It doesn't come in handy very often whatsoever. (laughs) But in terms of like some sort of sport, tennis, I play tennis a lot, actually. Um, That was like my one real sport that I played, stuff like that. And I was never like the most skilled and everything like that. But I could place the ball anywhere I needed to on the court at any given time. It was just constant corner, 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 corner. So that is my one athletic skill. Everything else I'm a huge failure at. (laughs) You must be an incredible uh, pool player. Like, is that something that you Cool. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. And and this was great. And I'm telling you, like, it's really fun for me because I think people generally see me and they're like, Oh God, Dan, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, this is not going to end well. And it was like, bam, you know, cause I feel like you know how to play pool. People think you're kind of cool. Like they're like, wow. All right. And I'm like, all right, guys, let's roll. And people are like, what the heck? And I don't know. It has always been that way my entire life. And I've, it frustrates me. It's terrible. My failure as a father, it frustrates me that my son who is my wife. So they are super athletes can't aim. And I'm like, why can't you do this? Just aim. Just look at it and aim. And he's got, he's all over the place. I'm like, this is just terrible. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. So that's, it's just very funny like that. Well, I have no aim either. I just think like, you know, like if I were a, like a draft prospect, for instance, and you, you see like every little like dimension with like the bars and like, I would be like 90th percentile for flexibility and like balance and core strength. And then like bottom 1%, like less than 1%. 
for aim spatial reasoning like any of that i i'm terrible i honestly i'm the we worst partner in the whole world we have to combine oh there you go okay yeah we have to combine then i'm telling you man like it would be it would be perfect oh i, I do i will say this one other thing i'm not a strong man either like i'm, I'm not like i cannot hit a home run no matter how juicy <laughs> ball it but I could throw like from the outfield. And because I had such perfect aim, like I like guy where they would try to tag up, I would, you know, always at least make it a close play. And when I played football very briefly in my football career as a young man, um, I was like a, a pretty solid quarterback. I couldn't chuck the ball, right? I couldn't make it like, you know, 50 yards downfield, but that ball was going exactly where it needed to be at every time. So coaches loved me because when you're little, that skill is like lacking from everybody, right? Then I hit like 11 and everybody became normal. And then they were like, all right, then you suck. Get out of here. And I was like, yeah, but yeah, that's my skill. So what you're saying is you're like the anti-Jordan love that. Yes. <laughs> I will take that. I will take I that. that. The anti-Jordan love. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Finally, if you had one cardinal rule to tell someone just getting into fantasy this year, what would it be? Uh, draft your guys, uh, because I think too many times people you know, consult the rankings, of course, consult people that you trust. But this is a fun game. It, it really is. It's it's and there's nothing better than the feeling like, you know what? I don't like this guy over this guy, but people were saying I should take that guy. And I went with it and it succeeds. It's a fun game, man. Enjoy yourself. Draft the people that you want to draft. Draft your guys because there is no better feeling in fantasy than when you make your own call. Unfortunately, you and I, Samantha, are forced to do it all day, every day and every weekend. And so I, I like make 7,000 calls on a Sunday morning and when they don't work, it hurts. But when you're right and you recommend something against the grain, like I remember one time I recommended Elijah Mitchell way above consensus and he had the huge game and stuff like that. Ooh. Feels great. Feels great when you hit it. That's the one time I was correct this year. Um, but when you do that, it's like when you draft, draft your guys and enjoy it. Like don't, don't worry too much about stuff, your draft grades or anything like that. Just have fun with it. Yeah, heavy is the crown, obviously, because it is the coolest, coolest thing to be able to talk about this sport that we love and all day and actually get paid for it. And it's just like it is a dream come true. But yes, there are negative things, of course. But just remember that it's it is really all about fun. So, all right, that will do it for this round of 21 questions with our esteemed guest, Dan Harris. And I cannot thank you enough. For joining me during this insanely busy time, please tell everyone, as if they don't already know, where to find you this NFL season. Uh, that's the first time anybody's called me esteemed. So I really, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a great time joining you, Samantha. As you know, you're one of my favorite people Thank in the you. industry. Um, you can find me over at Fantasy Pros, of course, or Betting Pros. I'm the editor in chief uh, of both. I uh, have my own podcast called The Kickoff, which is like 10 to 15 minutes every weekday where I just blabble on and give my own thoughts about it. Uh, I'm on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy pros doing videos. I'm on our YouTube betting pros, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash betting pros, where I give out my five favorite player props each week and everything like that. Again, just go to fantasy pros. You'll see me, unfortunately, all over there. Not unfortunately at all. I will definitely check out that podcast. That sounds like a good time. I just want to hear your voice every day. Um, (laughs) As a reminder, Sean Kerner and Chris Raybon are here on the Fantasy Flex every Monday and Wednesday and Friday, giving you guys all the DFS waiver wire and rankings info to help you dominate your fantasy leagues. I will be back this Thursday and every Thursday with my mailbag episodes. Speaking of which, you should email any mailbag questions to mailbag at actionnetwork.com. Stop sliding into my DMs with those. Just email them to me. And thank you again for listening. Please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Download us wherever you like to listen. And we will see you next time on the Fantasy Flex presented by Prize Picks. Peace out, y'all.